0: Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church and Pastor Josh LaGrange. This week, Pastor Josh starts wrapping up his series of messages on serving Christ in the new year. In this sermon, we're shown what the Bible has to say on the subject of giving and tithing. You can join us by turning in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, chapter eight, as Pastor Josh delivers his message titled, Gospel-Rooted Giving.
1: And then we'll pray together. Uh, chapters 8 and 9 collectively is a uh, section of some teaching uh, on offering, on giving, uh, that Paul was giving to that church there. So we'll read, we'll read one verse out of there. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you through His poverty might become rich. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, we ask that you come and you give grace. Lord, we are thankful for every way that you are at work. And we, Lord, want to grow. Father, we pray that you grow us in knowledge. Pray that you show us more of yourself. Show us more of your will for us in in this age. Father, we we just submit ourselves right now and say every command that you give, we want to obey. Every expectation that you have, we we want to live in it. We long for our lives to be the great offering. Um, We long for our lives to be a sacrifice of worship, oh God, that we give to you, that every single dimension of our lives, all of the details coming together, please you. And so Father, help us. Um, Help us, transform us, Grow us and Lord, I pray that in this in, in this time we're going to spend studying that you give us the grace, oh God, to be able to think deeply, respond rightly to your word, help us to respond in worship, obedience, and submission to you. And so, Father, every grace that's needed, we pray that you provide. Please send us your spirit to meet with us, Father, that we'll be unified and unified together in our purpose. Help me to preach, help me to glorify you in this work and all of us to receive. Please, God, protect this time, bless this time. We need you, we pray you glorify yourself, and we ask it through Christ. Amen. Uh, maybe the most basic Christian belief, most foundational belief of what it means to be a new covenant Christian is the confession, Jesus is Lord. When we say that statement, Jesus is Lord, The Lordship of Christ means that He is the sovereign authority. But when we say that Jesus is Lord, we don't mean that He's simply Lord like Caesar attempted to be Lord on earth. We mean something very different. The Bible shows that Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth, meaning He's the sovereign one over the physical world and also over the spiritual. He formed every atom of the universe and He rules every atom. Of the universe. If you recall last Sunday when we looked at the Great Commission, we saw that th- this is how Jesus opened up. This is the introduction he gave before that call to go and make disciples. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Big and small, it's all his. Uh, Here's a, here's a, a beautiful way. I saw it written here recently. Jesus extends the scepter of his rule over every molecule of the universe. It's all his. It's from him, continues to exist through him. And it's all in a way been designed to somehow be for him. It was all designed to somehow in the end, every thinking creature, all of the plan Every detail, every thinking creature will be pointed to see Jesus as the center of attention. Uh, The fame, the magnifying of his name will somehow all be accomplished by everything that comes together. It's all for him. So the Lordship of Christ, when we talk about this, when we say that statement, Jesus is Lord, it's more than a simple phrase. We're saying something very big. The big... And the small. It's all His. It's all for Him. It extends to every part of our lives. The big and the small. Jesus is Lord over our time. That means that the bulk of our time, but it also means the stray minutes. Jesus is Lord over every moment of our time. He's Lord over our bodies. Lord over our decisions. Scripture says numerous times we exist... For Him. We were created for His glory. God does not exist for us, as though the big genie in the sky's job is to make us have all of our indulgent wishes. We exist for Him. Whether we eat or drink, it is all for His glory. Whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. In the end, it's all going to fulfill the purpose of pointing to Christ. Whether we participate in that or whether we try and resist that, it is all unto Him. If Christ is Lord, then He's Lord of all. And so that extends to our possessions, our money, our resources, our checkbooks, our retirement accounts. It extends to the pennies in our little kid's piggy bank. It's His, He rules. And because our money and resources has a significant role in our lives, the Bible has an awful lot to say on this. In fact, I find it surprising how much the Bible speaks on how we handle and how we use resources and how it's all meant to be ordered to glorify him. So we're going to take some, this take some time this morning and, and think through this subject right here. Now, um, Anytime we're going to study this, let me tell you a little bit of my human thinking. Now, this is wrong, and I'm telling you from the beginning, this is wrong thinking. But I've always got a little bit of that like, man, I hope that this isn't the Sunday that first-time visitors come. You know, lest they get the impression that we're acting like sleazy politicians on their campaign trail, okay? Now, that's wrong thinking. Every verse of God's word is useful and needed, every aspect of morality and every command. But you understand probably where I'm coming from. But there is something to keep in mind with that. The reputation that God's people have in the world. The reputation that we as a church family have in this community and in the world. It does matter. We're ambassadors of Christ. We represent the gospel. A couple times a month, I'll bet, our church gets flyers in the mail uh, trying to get us to do various kinds of fundraisers. It can be a practice that just, this becomes the life of a church just all the time. Fundraiser, 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 fundraiser. Trying to sell everything from coupon cards to indulgences, but we have just decided that we, that's not how we're going to operate. We're going to go about business in a different way. It was one of the conclusions we came to at the very beginning of the time when we were planting this church, influence from the scripture, we believe this is the tone, that when the community thinks of us, They're not going to think begging and taking, they're going to think serving and giving. It is a regular thing that folks in the community are surprised when we show up and we do the back to school bashes and such for free. And people show up and go, really, for free? Because they're used to kind of that whole money grubbing all the time, begging for money kind of attitude that can exist there. We want our reputation to be that of giving, serving, benevolent, not looking to take. When we see the attitude that the church is to have in the world, the church isn't to be going to the world begging. The work of Christ's church is carried on by the giving of Christ's people. So we'll spend a little bit of time this morning thinking on this. It is a reality. If we're going to live in happy submission to the rule of Christ, then that means the handling of our resources is also to be in happy submission to the rule of Christ. Now, uh, the timing of this is a bit Ironic um, coming on the heels of what we talked about last Sunday and what we prayed for uh, of a large donation being given. And so, if you're sitting there thinking, huh, did the church leaders plan for this kind of thing, like the timing of all this, let me assure you, I am not that intelligent nor insightful. Okay, well, the, the message has been planned for quite some time. And then, only less than two weeks ago, we find out about this donation being given. Okay, we just regularly see uncanny works of God's providence like that. And it encourages me on the timing of studying these kinds of things. So let me kind of go about our time of study like this. Um, In these New Year's messages, usually the big aim is we're trying to help our minds see the big picture, okay? So like the big purposes and how do all of the details of life fit into that big picture? So I wanna start with showing the bigger framework of giving, How does that fit into glorify God and enjoy him forever? And then we'll look and see how the gospel inspires our giving. And then thirdly, look at some specific biblical instructions on giving. So here's number one, the greater framework of giving. When you consider uh, the numerous passages of the Bible, we see that money comprises a significant role in our lives. Now, Of course there's the teaching that we see Scripture give that we need to make sure money doesn't play a bigger part than what it's supposed to. But listen, even to the apostles, okay, who lived in greater submission to Christ than you or I, money still had a significant role in their lives because of the way God designed the world. God designed the world. God designed us. He designed us as creatures, okay, different then the angels, the angels don't need to go plant and harvest. He created us as creatures who need to eat, who need to harvest, who need to take in resources. Consuming is a part of how we were created and at the creation commission. Okay. So God creates mankind. He gives this commission where he sends us out, go forth and multiply, go forth and bear fruit. Fill the earth and subdue it. That is partly a call to go forth and build lives, work, earn, etc. These things are not evil. This is by God's design. The Bible teaches that the acquiring of money and resources can cross a line. And that's often what the Bible is addressing and what we are addressing when we talk about sometimes the, the misuse of work. And the misuse of money, I like that phrase. By the way, that comes from uh, our church family member, Mr. Logan, uh, teaching a Sunday school class one time, taught on the role of work, and, but there, there is a misuse of work and money. I thought that was a helpful way of saying it. So of course the Bible addresses this, but it doesn't undo the call to go work sometimes after we study some of what the Bible has to say and and we talk about the misuse and the abuse of these kinds of things, somebody might throw their hands in the air and go, okay, does Jesus want us all quit our jobs and just read our Bibles all day? No, work is commission from creation, but there's a way that we can misuse. There's a way that we can abuse some of the gifts that God has given. When we misuse work, money, resources, the building of lives, possessions, we are robbing eternal things to put the focus on earthly things. When Jesus told us not to work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, okay, he wasn't undoing the creation commission and telling his people all of you stop working and return to a bartering system, okay, that wasn't what the command is. But it was instead a call to make everything aimed at eternity. There was a call to engage in kingdom work. And yes, there is to be a significant portion of our lives that is entirely about spiritual things. But that's not where that, that's not where that call and what he was saying ends. It's also a call to make the sweeping of floors, the changing of diapers, and the earning of a living to be about something bigger than building castles in the sand. He spoke in such a way to call us that every earthly thing we do is to be for a heavenly reason. And if we keep our eyes only on the earth, I'm only working to get money and buy junk, then we will be working for the food that perishes. But there is a way to sweep floors to the glory of God. There is a way to change diapers to the glory of God. There is a way to provide for families to the glory of God. There is a way to build lives for the glory of God. All things done unto Christ in his name with the motive, I want everything to glorify him. This is what scripture is calling us to. So so all that is to say, money resources, work, has a significant role in our lives, and at least part of that is by design. And if Jesus is Lord over all, then He is Lord of our resources. And those resources are to be handled in a way that lives in joyful submission to the rule of Christ. This is why the Bible has so much to say on money and resources. It's because money represents value. Represents the the product of time and effort and also money carries with it a significant temptation. This is the tone of a lot of Jesus' teaching. A warning to have a healthy kind of sight of this and a healthy kind of fear. Easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said. Jesus in one parable even called money unrighteous wealth, the, the unrighteous wealth of this age. He didn't mean let's all Christians stop using it, but he spoke of money as a great danger and gives the call to use these resources in a way that glorifies God. But Jesus, would, this is the tone of a lot of Jesus' speaking. Beware the danger. A chainsaw is not evil. But a chainsaw is dangerous. Money is not evil, but money is dangerous. And, the, and the, the, the Christian following our Savior has to bear this danger in mind. We need to carry that tone when we come to it. And when it comes to giving, we'll only understand God's will, God's design for giving, if we understand the bigger picture of God's design for how we handle all resources. We'll only understand God's purposes for how we handle all resources if we understand God's design for how we live and engage with all parts of this world. We'll only understand God's purposes for how we use all earthly gifts if we understand deeply the purpose of life itself. We'll only understand the purpose of life itself if we understand the purpose of the cosmos. We'll only understand the purpose of the cosmos when we deeply know God Himself. What is he like? What is his character? What are God's aims and God's purposes? And constantly in Jesus' preaching, we see this. Over and over again, Jesus would teach in such a way that helps us understand what role money plays in the bigger picture. There's a secular proverb that the world uses that says money money makes the world go round. What they mean by that is money is the reason why everybody does everything. Well, that's pretty short-sighted even for secularists, okay? But we do recognize the love of money does drive a lot of activity. But what Jesus constantly preached was to show this. Here's the role that it plays. Here's the big picture. And everything of your life has a role to play in the big picture. Money, here's its little role. Here's the part that is, it plays. So... When Jesus told the parable over in Luke 12, you remember this one, the man had a very prosperous year, so much so that that the wealth would last for the rest of his life, so he tore down his old barns, built new bigger barns, and then the big catch came here. Of course, it's not evil to have an abundant year. Here's where the evil came. He said to himself, soul, just live at ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. That phrase... You watch for it. You study it in the Bible. That phrase is repeated over and over again. And it is always a phrase that refers to a wasted life. Eat, drink, and be merry. Think about it. It's live for the now. Live for the moment. Build my castle in the sand. Live for just the filling of my belly, the buying of possessions, the gaining of an earthly empire. Eat, drink, and be merry. But then that very night, the Lord required his life. The man stands before God and God tells him, you fool, you fool. Now you have nothing. When Jesus told that parable, it's about giving, but it's about more than giving. It's about handling resources, but it's about more than handling resources. It is about how we approach all of life. It is about the aim and the purpose of all of life. And so we have to see what the Bible says in these matters according to the bigger framework of how we view all of life. Or here's another, Luke 16. Jesus told a parable about a man who was a a manager, a steward. For a wealthy man, and Jesus used this to help us understand where we fit in this world. This is the picture that the Bible regularly gives us and how we view our lives. Managers of what belongs to another. In Luke 19 and Matthew 25, Jesus told uh, the parable of the talents and the parable of the minas. Some of the most important parables Jesus ever told. And the parable is of a master representing God who calls his servants to him and he disperses of resources. Okay. It's actually where we get our definition, uh, our, our modern definition of the word talent. He disperses talents to them, gives them resources and says, do business with this until I return. The master leaves, but then the day will come that the master comes back. And there is an accounting of how his people used the talents, resources, opportunities so as to bear fruit, but bear fruit for the right things. Bear fruit for the kingdom of God. Jesus says, this is the picture that sums up our life. Our life has a purpose. We are managers of that which belongs to another. We are called go bear fruit. One of the things that God does in our lives, he does give us a great deal of latitude. Latitude. God God doesn't come and speak to you and say, you are to work this job with, you know, go to this college and do every single A, B, C, and D, every single detail. Now, do we believe there are times that the Lord leads us? Absolutely. But God gives us a great deal of latitude. And what we're called to do is manage our lives so as to live for the great purpose. Work hard so as to glorify Him. And so... Here's how Jesus ended numerous parables and numerous sections that he taught on money. He said, use the unrighteous wealth of this earth in a way that stores up eternal riches. We know, that our, we know our temptation to buy and buy and buy, to get and get and get, to hoard and hoard, to, to play the amoeba. Always looking to get, 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 get. Jesus says, use the wealth of this age so as to have eternal rewards. How we use money matters. So now consider, secondly, for the believer, our giving is rooted in the gospel. So we're in 2 Corinthians 8 there. Look at verse nine with me again. So it says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. We see something happening here in this passage that really is just amazing the Bible is doing all the time. We often study a passage where the Bible shows how these details of life connect to the gospel in ways that just leave us stunned. Okay, we study the Old Testament. We look at the, the feast of the Passover. What is it doing? It's a neon sign pointing to Christ and the work of salvation. Hundreds of places, hundreds of ways in the Bible, it's always showing here's how this thing was pointing to Christ and salvation or the, the gospel is our motivation that comes out of it over and over again. And the same thing is done here with giving. It's kind of similar to what's done in marriage. okay. We're shown that God designed marriage to be a living illustration of the gospel. And there are some places in the New Testament that speak to husbands and wives and uses the gospel as the picture and inspiration for how we go live and obey. Okay, husbands, love your wife. That's, that's your chief command. There's a lot underneath that, but that's your chief command to your wife. Love your wife. If we ask, all right, well, how? What does that look like? Well, what does Ephesians 5 follow up with? Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. So so husbands, we do have a list of commands, responsibilities, instructions that Scripture will say. But more important than even the commands and instructions, there's this. God gives you a picture and says, go make your marriage look like this. Go make your, 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 your fulfilling of calling, go make your husbanding look like this. Jesus bled. Jesus laid himself down. Jesus did that which was painful for the good of his bride. So that all who will turn. All who will turn from sins and turn in genuine trust, a submissive faith in Christ will have everlasting life. Jesus made himself poor in order to give earthly riches. Jesus did this. There's your picture, husbands. Go live like that. The same thing is done here with giving. The gospel is shown to us and then the model is given. Us Christians, we go do this. Jesus sacrificed in order to bless us. He became poor so that we might have everlasting life. God uses this picture in scripture and tells us to go imitate, imitate Christ, giving of ourselves, denying ourselves, laying our lives down for the good of others. That applies to even when we talk about things like serving. Here it is applied to giving, And specifically in the context right here, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, there was a very specific offering that was being taken up here. It was an offering that uh, Paul led these churches that he planted to participate in to care for the impoverished believers living in Jerusalem. So that's the specific offering here in chapter 8. There are brothers and sisters who are suffering. They are in need. Let's gather together and let's do this. Jesus modeled it. Let's live this out. And do you see how much more powerful that is than simply giving us law? Like, like I'm always amazed how much, how much God does this, that the Bible will use inspiration flowing out of gratitude and love rather than just bare minimum commands all the time. When it comes to how we live unto God, yeah, There are commands, no doubt. But the Bible also does a whole lot of look at Christ. Don't you feel within you this yearning to lay your life down as a sacrifice? Okay, let's go work hard. Let's let's go reach others. Let's go serve one another in the body of Christ, going beyond bare minimum expectations. The Bible is all the time doing this, and it does it here with giving. God will give instruction. Go work hard hard. So it's kind of similar to this. How much will you serve? How much will you serve in the kingdom of God? Are there some bare minimum expectations? Sure. But is that where God leaves it? No, there's the call to be inspired. There's the call to in zeal to go further. So how much will you serve? Well, how much zeal? How much do you love the kingdom? How much are you looking forward to hearing from your father, the pleasure for a job well done and the rewards. Similarly, how much will we give? Well, springing out of the same things. God shows us this yearning for that last day to hear the pleasure of our father and what we have have joined in and how much reward will we receive. Well, along those lines... Let me address in the final point here, um, various kinds of instructions uh, that the Bible gives us, specifically the the new covenant gives us um, when it comes to giving. Now notice, um, I'm not giving five instructions here. I'm telling you five different kinds of instructions that scripture shows us. The difference there is, there are so many instructions that the Bible gives concerning giving that we really couldn't fit them all in a sermon. But I want to show you the various different kinds of instructions. I'll show you what I mean here. The first and the most obvious, letter A, is the Bible has commands concerning giving. That's the easiest. That's the one. um, Oftentimes when people think about what does the Bible say about giving, they may think it only has commands. No, what we see is a lot more than just commands. But here's the the first. The the commands would be the the non-negotiables. These are if you're living in a desert gathering cactus plants, okay, how much giving does God expect? What are the bare minimums kinds of thing there? Generally, Christians consider the tithe and the first fruits principle to be the bare minimum commands. Now, I worded it like that on purpose saying generally, okay, because of this. There is a conversation that sometimes Christians have over uh, whether or not the tithe is a part of the law of Christ. Uh, One of the things that we see whenever we look at it there is uh, the tithe is spoken of in the book of Genesis before the law of Moses. The law of Moses comes along and there are some very specific things that were spoken there. You probably remember like the Malachi 3 passage that God says that it is robbing him uh, not to give the tithe there. But when we come into the New Testament, The the command is never repeated to give the tithe. So this leads us to a little bit of a moment going, okay, well, how are we supposed to look at this? It's similar to when we asked the question um, about the third commandment of the Ten Commandments or the Sabbath that we looked at. Uh, The third commandment of the Ten Commandments is not to take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Did you know that that's not repeated in the New Testament? Okay, but is it a part of the law of Christ? I think that's pretty obvious, okay? I don't think we're ever going to have a covenant where God says, in this one, you're allowed to disgrace my name, okay? It's not going to happen. This is the eternal principle of holiness for all time. But the tithe, so is it along the lines of the Sabbath, okay, because we came to the conclusion here that at least the leadership believes in the stance of the church. We believe the Sabbath has come to a conclusion, but that the principle of the one day in seven in the Lord's day remains. Well, is the tithe like that, Or is it like the third commandment? Something we read from the Old Testament, but we know is a part of the new covenant. Well, study it out. (laughs) Follow it out. Uh, I can tell you that the opinion of most Christians and historically and of myself is that the tithe is still part of the bare minimum of God's instructions there. And I think whenever we see it in context with the rest of what we'll see, I think that will start to become more clear. So for instance... Here's what the New Testament does say clearly. Jesus commands us to give, to give generously, and even to give sacrificially. All right? So what does generous and sacrificial look like? Do we have any kind of standard that is a starting point? Okay, I believe the tithe is that bare minimum starting point that is there. The word tithe means tenth. It's a principle that we see given to us all the way back to the uh, book of Genesis. And here's part of what we see is the point. The tithe is a recognition of the reality that every drop of grace comes from above. Every drop of kindness, uh, every drop of income, every penny that flows into our lives is the care of our Father providentially giving grace to us, which is not what everybody on the earth believes. The common temptation of the human heart is that, you know, when bad things come, that that was God's fault and he's not being fair to me. But when good things come, I did that by the sweat of my brow, my effort, my intelligence, my wisdom, and therefore my money. But of course, that's not reality. The Bible is showing us the realities that we cannot see. The Bible is showing us the reality every good gift comes down from our Father. It is His providential, invisible care coming to us. Yes, we are participating in His providence. That's part of the mystery of it all. We work, and yet God brings an increase, but it is His care. The tithe is the worshiping recognition of that, that out of all that God gives in an act of worship, I will offer up, not because God needs it, he owns it all, he'll take all that he desires, he owns it all, we're not feeding him, we're not meeting any needs that he has, it is an act of worship, and God has so designed this world to work, that somehow our giving fits into the plan of God, that there will be missionaries, that God decides he's going to sin unreached people groups he's going to bring the gospel to and yet somehow our giving fits into all that mystery mind-blowing sovereignty and human responsibility but this is what he's doing and then along with that another principle that we see scripture show us beginning in the old testament is the principle of the first fruits this is the idea that uh, as you would harvest your fields Uh, the firstborn of your flocks and your herds, the very first was offered to the Lord. This is where the tithe came from. The principle is this. When we have increase, we don't go pay our bills, buy all our stuff, go out to eat, have fun, and then we say, you know, whatever's left, then that's what I'll give to God. We, We know how that works whenever we wait till whatever is left. The idea is, worshiping, this is the priority of my life. It's what we were made for. So as I get increase, glorifying God is the very first thing that I do. On our budget, okay, Here, here's, a, here's a definition, here's a, a recognition of that. On the budget, the giving is line item number one. As I'm teaching my kids about handling resources, giving in worship is the first conversation that we have. Our worship, has the place of primacy in every dimension, including our resources. It is about the supremacy and priority of worship. It's about where do we have God seated? Where do we have God seated in our life? Is he on the throne or is he in a chair tucked in the corner? If your life is the solar system, where is God? Is he... Pluto flying out there that nobody knows is a planet or just a thing blobbing around? Or is he the sun in the center? And all other things are rotating around. It is about the primacy of worship. Over and over again, this is the principle that we see. God gets first place. In everything, God gets first place. Everything in my life, bows the knee to him and not the other way around. And we demonstrate that in all kinds of ways. Giving and handling resources is one of them. Here's the last thing I'll mention by way of command with giving. It's that God in scripture does tell us what we are to give to. What are the things that we are to participate in? He doesn't tell us how much to give to each thing, but he does show us three things that we are to be engaged in. We are to be involved in the work of the gospel locally through our local church family. We are to be involved in the work of the gospel abroad, in the gospel going to the nations, and the care of the poor, the care of the need, and especially those of believers. So those three things are what we're shown. Uh, Practical application, by the way. So recently, our church family, every single year, Uh, we get a budget team together, they put together a budget. And one of the things we decide is, all right, as a church, how much are we gonna give? Okay, out of everything that we receive as a church family, what will we send outside of ourselves? Well, generally it is the case that churches will give a tithe of the tithes. So we've decided we're gonna give at least a tithe that is there. This past church budget, this is not something to boast in, but to rejoice in, our church decided that around 20%, Of what we take in, we're going to send beyond ourselves to the the work of the gospel abroad and the care of the poor. We want it to be significant because of the next principles that we're going to talk about. Things like expectations that are there. So there's the second one, letter B. Not only does the Bible give commands concerning giving, it also gives expectations. So here's what I mean by expectations. Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. It's a basic principle of an expectation that applies across the board. It applies to talents, opportunities, energy, influence, everything, and including resources. Scripture shows that those who have much are expected by God to use their resources generously. At the end of 1 Timothy chapter 6, wealthy Christians are addressed. And they're told not to set their hope on riches, but rather to be generous and always ready to share. Scripture talks about having an open hand rather than a tight fist in regarding to our resources. And so, yeah, there is some real specific application for us here. There's some application I would give here that will be different than when I preach in Belize. There's some application here that is very specific for us. We are living in a place of absolute, unreal prosperity. Absolute, unreal prosperity, compared to the rest of history, compared to the rest of the world. I know that there are always those voices. I know that there are always those voices that are always playing the violin for you. They're usually politicians trying to get your vote, and so they're pandering, trying to tell you, poor you, how can you even make it? You're so poor, you're so poor. Look at the rest of history, get on a plane, fly somewhere else in the world, come back, be thankful, and then see, we do live in a place of unreal prosperity. And so there is some specific that is here. If God expects the nomad in the desert to tithe, then what does he expect of a people who live in great prosperity? We are in a position here uh, in this place and at this time to have an opportunity to send missionaries around the world and to care for the poor in ways that other places in history have not had the same opportunity. It is one of the things that is exciting about when groups of Christians gather together, like our denomination that we're a part of, and we can collectively gather, this is not a joke, tens of millions and hundreds of millions of dollars to send missionaries around the world. That is an exciting thing to get to be a part of, and that is what God calls us to. So there are expectations. Letter C, not only commands, not only expectations, God also shows us wisdom and foolish foolishness teaching regarding money. An example, um, in scripture, debt is brought up several times. There's never a place in the Bible that says, thou shalt have no debt. Debt is never spoken of as evil. However, We are shown the wisdom ramifications of debt. The borrower is slave to the lender. Principle is a very well-known one. So there's never a place that God says, under no circumstances ever do debt. But what he does say is, be wise with it. And here are the things you need to keep in mind. Here are the wisdom principles you need uh, to have with you. And so along those lines, in Luke 12, that parable we talked about earlier, the man who tore down the old barns, built bigger ones, he hoarded his riches and then died. God called him a fool. Part of what God is saying there is, what you did is just not smart. In the same way that we teach our children, you get an allowance or you work a little job mowing grass, don't go spend everything on candy. That's a short-lived thrill and then there's nothing left. There's a similar way that God from scripture speaks to us and just says, It's just not smart to spend all of our resources on thrills of the earth that do not last. We are to use our resources in a way so that it lasts forever. And in the great irony, the only way that earthly wealth will last is when we part with it. It's when we open the hand. It's when we give. And then those resources cross as rewards into the kingdom. Letter D, there are principles we're called to heed in regard to giving. Uh, Jesus told us things like, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Meaning, don't gloat in your giving. Don't let yourself feel prideful about it. Another principle, You're in Second Corinthians, look at chapter 9 for a second. Look at verse 6. Here are a couple more principles in regard to giving. Now this I say, he who s- sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. There's a wisdom principle. Now look at the next. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There's another principle we are to bear in mind. Even where is my heart supposed to be as I give? God tells us to foster a gladness in our generosity, a cheerfulness, a joy um, in our givings. And there are tons and tons of other principles, more than we could list off, but that's another type of instruction. Here's the last one I'll mention. Letter E, there are encouragements. There are encouragements, meaning there are things that the Bible says, this would result in great joy. Don't you want to do it? So sort of like God showing us the rewards that would come and and inspiring us to say, don't you want this? Um, Still in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, look look at verse 8, the verse before our starting verse there. Look at the very first thing of what he says. Verse 8, I am not speaking this as a command. You see that? This particular offering right here was not an offering that anybody was commanded to take part in. This was one that Paul encouraged them to take part in. Paul would plant a church. And one of the things that he was always doing is he was part of the culture that was there. was instilling a giving kind of culture. And an opportunity that existed was in Jerusalem, believers were being persecuted. They were losing their jobs. They were being kicked out of their households. Believers were on the streets, impoverished. And so oftentimes what Paul would do is lead the churches, hey, Would you guys like to take up an offering and we'll bring it to the saints in Jerusalem? And the church would be like, yeah, that sounds great. I would love to take part in this. That is this offering right here. Paul gave him the instructions and said, I'm leaving and I'm going to come back after so much time. Every single week, set aside, give to this offering. We'll get a big amount and then I'll come, we'll get representatives. And he went and he gathered from many churches that he had planted gathered the offering, and then they brought it to Jerusalem to give to the believers who were impoverished there. But part of the point is, yeah, we're commanded to give to the poor in general, but this, this specific offering right there, they were commanded to? What's he doing? He's encouraging. The Bible does this a lot. Being inspired out of our gratitude. The encouragements, they're like, they're like a coach coming to players at the end of a season and saying this, work hard in the offseason. All right, well, what does that look like? Well, the coach isn't going to be there at every single time they get together. The coach isn't managing every minute and telling them what to do. They're on their own. They have latitude, manage themselves and work hard. So one of those players might work out once a week. Another one might lift, run and work out six days a week. Neither one is breaking a command, they're working. So if that's the case, why would one of them work out six days a week? Because of the results, because hopefully they come to some enjoyment in the process as well, but because of the results. And this is constantly what scripture is showing us. We will reap as we sow. By the way, it's not a selfish thing to be excited about that. Jesus regularly showed us, okay? When you give, do it in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It's not a selfish thing to look forward to that day, to sow and sow and serve and serve, and to think now, it is going to be awesome. I don't know what all it's going to be, but God says He's going to honor His people according to how they have labored and worked and given and sacrificed. God is going to reward. It's not a bad thing to look forward to that, to be excited about fruit in the kingdom. When Paul talked all the time, he was like, I can't wait to lay down my life in more sacrifices and service because I'm looking for the reward. I'm excited about the reward. There is a reward for effort and sacrifice in every dimension. And that includes our resources and our giving. Because we got to understand, you're never going to, Buy your way into heaven. Now, historically, this has been a popular belief. This is kind of a human temptation. This idea that I'll live how I please, but I'll make sure I give a lot. Then I got it taken care of. It's not how it works. You can't bribe God. (laughs) Even in Deuteronomy 16, we just read earlier, you'll never be able to bribe the justice of God. There is one way to eternal life. It is by faith and repentance in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. Slipping extra money on the offering plate more than normal. Won't buy you more time out of anything or undo some kind of sin. It's Way more costly than that. The undoing of sin, the forgiveness and cleansing of the heart requires blood. And that's what the blood of Christ has accomplished. Look to Christ in faith for salvation and eternal life. No amount of giving or good works will ever buy your way there. We give and we work out of the joy and gratitude that we have because of what He's done, we long to please our Father. We love the kingdom of God. We want the name of Jesus to be magnified to the ends of the earth, and we long for the reward that comes. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, um, You've shown many truths, Father, I pray that we will heed them all. Please, God, continue the work of the word. We know there are ways that your Holy Spirit comes and causes us to see things beyond what we're spoken. And I pray that'll happen, Lord, with the many, many truths that we've looked at. Please glorify your name. Father, I'm thankful that this church family has been a very generous group, grateful for the ways that you have stirred hearts. I ask God that that will continue into the future. I pray that we will be a generous people and and, and not just about giving to here, but Lord, about giving to the ends of the earth, about caring for the poor, oh God. Father, use us. Show us more opportunities. Show us more ways we can be involved, oh Lord. Please bless us and bless us as we leave, oh God, and we pray these things through Christ. Amen. The Lord bless you.
0: Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoyed and were deeply affected by this week's message titled Gospel-Rooted Giving. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's Word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter at TrueVineIND or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.